Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. We are free indeed. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I remember being about 15 or 16 years old, the first time I ever heard that. And at that time, he was superintendent. He's bishop now, Bishop Anderson. When he said that, he said, whom the Son sets free. Uh-uh. He said, indeed, he's free. And I was like, oh, I like that. Whom the Son sets free, indeed, he's free. Because if God sets you free, nothing else can put you in bondage. Listen, let's get into this teaching. I got so much I want to say to you this morning. The first thing I want to do is I want to redirect your attention back to January. You may or you may not have written this down. You may or you may not have heard this. But I have a men's group that I'm a part of. And we were talking in the men's group this week. And after Pastor Cynthia had preached, two or three different people said, yo, this is so on point to the word that you gave back in January. And I got to thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I don't know that I read that in a couple of months. Because how I many you know, if you ain't careful, you'll let stuff slip. Yeah. Now, things been going good, but I thought, you know what? I need to get back and revisit what God said in January, because what God said in January, he already knew about July. Yeah. Amen, somebody. And so I want to read this to you real quick, and then we're going to get into the fifth part of this teaching. It's taken me five weeks to get to where I wanted to go. But, baby, we here now. Yeah. Yeah, I got something I want to share with you this morning. But before we do that, listen, it says, here's what the word of the Lord was to us in January. It says, this is your year of great victory. It will be a year filled with hope and with promise. It says, a breakthrough has already been made available for you. I just want you to rejoice at what you see with your eyes of faith. Instead of looking at what you see with your natural eyes. He says, do this and then you will see how I have already ordered heaven to get involved. (laughs) Woo! Glory to God. I forgot he had said that like that. He said, use your eyes of faith. He says, and then you will see how I have already gotten heaven involved. He says, then and only then will what you see with your eyes of faith become something that you can see with your natural eyes. Listen, he said, already know this. I have already charged heaven to get involved with your life. Make this confession. Say, I declare. That heaven is working overtime on my behalf. Oh, you ought to give God some praise in here this morning. I'm telling you, God is working on your behalf. Amen. He is working overtime on your behalf. And so finally, here we are in week five of this teaching called unoffendable. Make this declaration. Say, I declare. That from this day forward, forward, I will live live the unoffendable unoffendable life. life. Listen, I have a confession I want us to make this morning. It's a confession uh, over over offense. 
And here's the thing. I was thinking about this the past several weeks because I told Pastor Sean, what I do when I prepare to teach something, I teach it, I write it out, I, I, I literally do a manuscript from beginning to end, and I never know how long it's going to take me. Sometimes it takes me three weeks, sometimes it takes me six. When I did Fruit of the Spirit, it took me 32 weeks. But I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I believe that we are at a place today that is a divine appointment to cause us to live this life of freedom that we have declared. Because offense is designed to hold you into bondage. Offense is designed to make you miss out on God's best for your life. Offense is designed to make you see through cloudy lens. It's designed to make you see things in a way that God never intended. And so this morning, we are going to deal with this thing called offense, and we are going to talk about how God's love is the key to destroying it once and for all. And so this morning, you don't even have to stand up. I want you to make this confession with me, though, because it's going to get our minds right for this teaching. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father. Say, I thank you, I thank you. That, you are that you are a merciful God. A merciful God. Say, I thank you, I thank you. That, in that in Christ Jesus, you have already, you have already forgiven, me forgiven me of all of my sins. Of my sins. Say, I thank you, I thank you that, right now, that right now the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus covers, me covers me and makes me, and makes me righteous. righteous. Now, come on and give the Lord some praise for that. Amen. Now listen, here we go. Say, I admit, I admit that, many times that many times I have, I have taken, offense, taken offense and I have even, I have even been, offended been offended at others. At others. Say, in the, name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I break, I break every, curse, every curse, every legal standing, every legal standing and, everything and everything working in my life, in my life which, may be, which may be as a result of my parents or my ancestors. I declare every generational curse of being offended dies this morning. Oh, you ought to give the Lord some praise for that. Come on, hang in there with me for just a moment. Say, Father God, say, forgive me for holding on to bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentment Toward so many people, including those you have sent to help me. Say, forgive me, Lord, for accusing, for slandering, for judging, and criticizing when I had no right. Say, I claim a release from all evil spirits that would seek to cause me to be, to be offended or intentionally, or intentionally offend, others. offend others. Say, I am tired, I am tired of, getting of getting offended. Say, therefore, therefore I, speak I speak grace, words of life, words of life and, not and not words of death. Say, I renounce, I renounce any and all, all evil spirits, evil spirits behind, behind the spirit, the spirit of, offense. of offense. Say, I serve notice. That right now, those spirits must leave now in Jesus' name. Say, I declare that the judgment of God be on every spirit 
that torments me. Say, I declare it will be tormented day and night until it leaves. Woo, glory to God. Now look, some of y'all are like, wait a minute. We're talking about tormenting spirits? Listen, I read this last night. The Bible says in Isaiah 48 and 22 that there is no peace for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. So if something wicked is tormenting you, then we have the right to declare that that wicked spirit be tormented until it leaves. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 6, it says, seeing that it is a righteous thing with God to trouble your troubles. So whatever is troubling you on today, you ought to make the decision that it can't trouble you no more because God's going to be troubling it. Come on, let's finish this. Say, in the name of Jesus, say, I am merciful. Say, I am forgiving. Say, I am long-suffering. Say, and I am a peacemaker. Say, and I receive the manifestation of these confessions right now in Jesus' name. Now look at your neighbor and just say unoffendable. Just, just, just whisper to him and say unoffendable. Unoffendable. You are unoffendable. Do not think for a moment that there is a spirit strong enough to cause you to be offended. It is not possible. The God on the inside of you can whoop offense every day of the week. Let's be clear. Offense is Satan's trap to hold you back from living a life that God has designed for you. Offense is Satan's trap. The Bible says be not ignorant of what? Satan's devices. Don't be be ignorant of his tricks. Satan's job is to get you to forfeit the life of Christ. He can't take it from you. If you understand Satan can't take God's can't take the God life from you. The only thing he can do is give you the ammunition to use against yourself. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says this. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not evil. They are plans to give you. Watch this. A future and a hope. So if God's plan for you is to cause you to have a future and a hope and office job is to rob you of that, then you and office are not friends. Tell your neighbor, say offense is not my friend. The enemy wants you to think that offense is your friend because people use offense to build walls that they think are really protecting them, but they're just walls built to keep God out. So you got to be careful because you'll use office and be like, you know what, I'm offended. And then we try to get spiritual and say we're not offended. And we say things like, I'm just not going to deal with them. But the fact of the matter is, if God tells you to deal with them and you say you don't deal with them, well, now you're disobeying God. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. never, ever, never tell ever tell God what you won't do. Because the moment you tell God what you won't do will be the very thing he'll ask you to do. So you have to be careful about saying who you ain't going to deal with, who you ain't going to bother with, who you ain't going to befriend, who you ain't going to pray for, who you ain't going to give to. The spirit of offense wants to set you up for failure. That is why Satan offers up to us offense so that we can grab hold to it in return so we can block God's blessings in our life. Say, I will not block God's blessings in my life. Offense wants to invite you in so that you can live in a sinful state. A sinful state. Understand there's a difference 
we're not, we're not talking about being saved. Once you are saved, you are saved. The Bible says you have been born of an incorruptible seed. But just because you are saved, you can live like you're not. In the same way you can have a car and not drive it and walk everywhere you go like you don't have a car. The offense wants you to live in a sinful state. What's the sinful state offense wants you to live in? Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The sinful state that offense wants you to live in, it wants you to live in a state of perpetual want. Offense will make you want for love. People will be trying to love on you and you'll be pushing them away. Offense will make you stay in a perpetual state of, of poverty. There'll be people God has called to help you, but because you didn't like how they said something to you, you won't accept their help. Tell your neighbor, say, offense, offense wants, me wants me to live in lack. If you and I are going to defeat offense in our lives, it must be done in the spirit. You cannot willpower your way out of offense. I told you that last night. I don't care how much willpower you have. At some point, you're going to break. At some, at some point, somebody's going to be good enough to get on your last nerve. At some point, somebody's going to be so irritating that you can't stand to see them coming or going. Come on. So you cannot willpower your way out of offense. If you're going to defeat office, it's going to be a spiritual fight. You're going to have to have some spiritual power. So the question becomes, what do I get it from? Acts 1 and 8. Acts 1 and 8 says, but you shall. I love that word shall in the Bible because that means it's going to happen. It's a legal term. If it says you shall, if, it, if, it, if something says that I'll do this and you shall do that, that means that if I do it, you are obligated by a legal standing to do what you said. The Bible says, but you shall receive power. And the Amplified says power and ability after that or when the Holy Ghost comes up on you. Most people are trying to live the Christian life and failing because they have no power. You have no deutimus. That word deutimus is the same word they use in the word dynamite. Now, everybody knows what dynamite does. You light a stick of dynamite. If it goes off, what is it going to do? It's going to rearrange everything that was around it. You have no rearranging power. And because you have no rearranging power, you are subject to every whim that the enemy sends your way. See, when offense comes your way, you're trying to willpower yourself out of it rather than loading a stick of dynamite and blowing the thing out of the water. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, the Holy Ghost is your answer to overcoming offense. So the key to once and for all overcoming the spirit of offense is to be led by the Holy Ghost. But you can't be led by that which you don't have. You cannot be led by that which you do not have. Now, why is this important? Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus performed no miracles without the Holy Ghost. Before he ever did a miracle, the Bible says he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Now, if he needs the Holy Ghost, then, we need it. Yes. Come on. Come on. 
Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, And when Jesus was baptized, he went up at once out of the water, and behold, watch this, the heavens were opened, and when he, John, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and enlightening on him. So the Bible says that literally what happened in this case is that Jesus got baptized, the heavens opened up. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, the Holy Ghost causes heaven to be open over your life. Listen, you don't miss this. Don't miss this. I'm trying to help you learn how to live outside of here. You need heaven opened over your life. If you don't get heaven opened over your life, you are in a, in, a, in a fix because you don't know what to do. Your human understanding at some point will end. You have to be able to hear the voice of God. Um, watch this. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by what? And hearing what? But you know what you need? You don't just need to hear the word of God. What you need to do is hear God. There's a difference. There's a difference in hearing the word of God. We didn't get our marriage fixed because we read the Bible. We got our marriage fixed because we heard what God said for us to do. Some of you don't live successfully because you don't spend time hearing God. Now notice, the Bible says that he got baptized. Now what did he get baptized into? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. What did he get baptized? What did Jesus need to do all these miracles? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 2 in the Amplified, it says, then a shoot, the Messiah, will spring from the stalk of Jesse. David's father and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Now, here's what all that means. The Bible says in Isaiah, it was foretelling us Jesus is going to come and Jesus is going to come through the lineage of David. Amen. It says that's what's going to happen. This was in Isaiah years before Jesus shows up on the scene. It says, and when Jesus comes, he's going to get baptized. And here's what he's going to get with his baptism. And the same thing that he got with his baptism is the same thing you get when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, and here's what he's going to get, the spirit of the Lord. He's going to get the spirit of the Lord to rest on him. And then he's going to get the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge. And he's going to receive a reverential and obedient fear of the Lord. Then he is going to receive a sevenfold facet of the anointing. And if you receive the sevenfold facet of the anointing, there's nothing in your life you can't defeat. But the reason that Christians struggle, the reason that believers struggle is because we get born again, but we leave the power on the shelf. Listen, let me me show you something. Uh, Katrina, can you do me a favor? If you go into that kitchen over there beside the refrigerator at the very bottom, there's a big flashlight. Will you bring me that flashlight? I want to show you something. See, you tell your neighbor, say, I am, I am saved. saved. But the question ain't whether you're saved. The question is what's powering you. The question is what is powering you? Because for many people, what's powering them is their five senses. 
Listen, we have been trained. Thank you, ma'am. We have been trained to live by our five senses. From the time you were born, you were trained to live by your five senses. A child that is born has a slight depth perception. You put a kid on the edge of the bed, there's something that tells them, I probably shouldn't fall off. Now, most of them got that big head, so they fall on off. But they have a depth perception that says, I shouldn't do that. Why? Because the five senses are designed to protect you. You want to know what heat feels like. You want to know when something smells. You want to know if you're driving and a train is coming. You want to hear that train coming. But if you let your five senses tell you how to live, you will always end up in a bad situation. I have this flashlight, and there is nothing wrong with this flashlight. As you can see, this flashlight works. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. It shines. It works. It does everything the manufacturer designed it to do. But here is the problem. If I were to take this battery out, it doesn't matter what this flashlight used to do, this flashlight now will not work. It won't shine. It looked like it used to look. From the outside, you think it's just like it was a moment ago, but there's nothing powering it. And so because there's nothing powering it, you walk around and you want to shine a light on something, but you ain't got no light to shine because you ain't got no power. But the moment you make the decision to add dudamas, the moment you put some understanding on it, the moment you put some wisdom and some knowledge and some reverential fear of the Lord on it and you begin to screw that thing back in just like before, I knew that was going to do that. I knew it was going to, I put that battery in wrong, I knew it. That's why it matters where you go to church, you might get the wrong battery. And the moment you put that bad boy back on there, if you put it in right inside, <laughs> fix my light. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. you need, need. Dudamus. Now, why is that important? Because Dudamus causes you to live a life beyond your natural ability. That means when somebody comes to me and they got a question and I don't really have the answer, Dudamus will download it to me. The spirit of counsel will come up on my life. That's why the Bible says I can always be ready to answer every man and everything. Why? Because it's not my own ability. It's coming from heaven. That's why the Bible says that when Jesus got baptized, it says the heavens open. When you get baptized, you live under an open heaven. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Say I decide every day to live under an open heaven. I said last week that it's not just enough to know how the enemy will use offense to attack us or even just having the tools to deal with it when it shows up. The key to really overcoming offense is learning about the love of God. You got to learn about the love of God. God is love. God is a spiritual being. Therefore, love is a spiritual force. The only way to defeat something natural is with something that is spiritual. Tell your neighbor, say love is a spiritual force that's why the bible says in ephesians 6 and 12 we wrestle what not 
against flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We don't fight natural things with natural things. We fight natural things with spiritual things. Hey, they're the lights. You got that dudamus working. James 3.16, it says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, envying and strife, there will be disorder and every evil work. Wherever there is jealousy, wherever there is self-ambition, wherever there is offense, there will be every evil work. And you cannot do good works while you got evil works on the inside of you. The Bible says a fountain either spills out good water or sour water, but it cannot do them both. The Bible says in Revelations, I would be that you be what? Either hot or cold. He said, because if you lukewarm, I can't take you, so I spew you out of my mouth. The Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 12, hatred stares up strife. Watch this. But love covers all offenses. Love covers all offenses. Now, we finished last week in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, just real quick. I want us to read it out of the Amplified. I won't spend time explaining it all, but I do want you to hear it. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth, and he said, and I like the church of Corinth, because the church of Corinth was a lot like us. They had a whole lot of people. They were a whole lot of saved. There was a whole lot of miracles, but it was a whole lot of bad. They're a lot like the American church. Had a whole bunch of potential, but just couldn't get over their sin issues. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, he says, If I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, the reasoning, intentional spiritual devotion, such as is inspired by God's love for us. It says, I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. When I'm talking about God's love, I'm not talking about how you love God. I'm talking about God's love for you. Because God's love for you is the only real sense of what love is. Verse 2, he says, and if I have prophetic powers, watch this, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, but I understand all the secret truths and mysteries and possess all knowledge, and even if I have all sufficient faith, so that I can even remove mountains. But if I don't have love, God's love in me, I am nothing. I am a useless nobody. Verse 3 says, even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be, per to be burned, or in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I don't gain anything. Are you hearing what he's saying? He says to him in verse 4, love endures long, love is patient and kind, love is never envious, it doesn't boil over with jealousy, it's not boastful or vainglorious, and it does not display itself heartily. Love says, I'm happy when you get blessed. Yes. Love says, I don't have to put you down in order to seem taller. I don't have to call you names and talk about what you don't have and what I do have to make myself feel better. Love doesn't do that. It said love endures long. That means I don't throw you away the first time you make a mistake. That means I show you some grace. I show you some mercy. 
Verse 5 says it is not conceited. I love that. Love is not arrogant. It's not inflated with pride. It's not rude. It's not unmannerly. And it does not act unbecomingly. You don't get to tell somebody off and talk about in love. Love doesn't behave that way. You don't get to rip somebody a new one and talk about, but I'm saying it in love. No, you're being rude. It says love is not conceited. It's not arrogant. It's not inflated. It's not rude. It does not act like that. Love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. Lord, help us all. Love doesn't always insist on being the right way, my way or the highway. It says love is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretty or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. My God, it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Now, notice, I love this because it doesn't say love doesn't pay attention if they didn't mean it. The Bible says even if they meant it, even if you did it and you meant to be a dirty dog to me, even if you did it on purpose, love says I just don't pay attention to it. Everybody ought to take their right hand. You ought to flip it around and lay it on your head and say, help me, Lord. Help us all, Lord. I get it. If they didn't mean to do it, if they didn't mean to do it, I can give you some grace. But you mean to tell me you meant to do it? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. And they used to say in Koji, in, in, in Koji, Koji, the Bible is right. Somebody wrong. <laughs> now that's what they used to tell us. The Bible is right and somebody is wrong. So if indeed it says even if they mean to do it, love doesn't pay attention to it. The Bible is right even if I can't get there yet. Verse 6 says it does not rejoice at injustice. I'm going to say it again. It does not rejoice at injustice. Love does not rejoice at in. Love does not rejoice at in. Love does not. I, I, I'm so glad he got what he deserved. That's what he get. I'm glad the Lord got him. <laughs> the Bible say that ain't love. The Bible says that is not love. You don't get to see somebody going through something and then you feel good about it. If that ever happens to you, you ought to check your love walk. Because what if you got everything you deserved? What if everybody rejoiced every time you got what you deserved? It says it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Yeah. That's when love rejoices. Verse 7 says love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe, watch this, the best of every person. It gives you the benefit of the doubt. Love gives you the benefit of the doubt. It's hard to be offended when you give people the benefit of the doubt. And watch this. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. neighbor. So you may not realize it, may not realize but you're going to need, need the, benefit the benefit of the doubt. doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you think you're perfect, but I'm telling you, the rest of us don't. You're going to need, you're going to need the benefit of the doubt. Verse 8 says, love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete. Love ain't old-fashioned. 
oh, pastor, you preach on that love stuff. Baby, this is the best thing you can preach on. Come on. Love is the battery that powers your flashlight. The Bible says that your, the Bible says this, it says like this, it says, and you know this, it says all of the promises of God are what? Received by faith. But then it says your faith only works by love. So I don't care how much faith you got, if you ain't got no love, you like a battery, you like a flashlight without a battery. You're talking about my faith is strong, but what about your love? Because you can have strong faith, but if you ain't got strong love, you ain't going to see no results. Listen, it goes on to verse 11. Let me skip down. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now that I've become a man, I have done away with childish ways. I have put those things aside. Verse 13 says, and so faith, hope, love abideth forever. Faith, which is conviction and belief, respecting man's relation to God and divine things. Hope, which is joy and confident expectation of eternal salvation and love. True affection from God and for God and man growing out of God's love for and in us. Watch this. These three. But the greatest of them all. If you got to pick one to hang your life on. It ain't faith. It ain't hope. It's love. Love is your key to overcoming every demonic assignment that has been sent against you. So if you are going to be able to effectively fight against the spirit of offense, you've got to get a solid foundation in God's love. You have to have a solid foundation. You cannot build a tall building without digging deep. You must dig deep first. So many people want to build this way first. But if you ever go to New York City or any place where they're building buildings that are 30, 40, 50 stories, you will always see them dig deep first because it's got to have something to support all of that weight. Now, in 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, it actually is the, in, 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 the, in his, Paul's next letter to the Corinthian church. He says something interesting in 2 Corinthians 13 and 1. And then he says something even more interesting in the very last verse in that chapter, verse 14. So in 2 Corinthians 13 and 1, he says, look, this is the third time I am coming to you. Now in the month of two, he says, now in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That's what he says. He said, this is the third time I don't wrote to you. I told you the Corinthian church was a lot like us. They need a lot of instruction. He said, this is the third time I don't wrote to y'all. It's the third time. The first time I wrote to y'all, I wrote to y'all about love. The second time I wrote to y'all, I wrote to y'all about love. This is the third time. This is the last time I'm writing y'all. I'm coming to see y'all. He says, the love of God is so important. He then says to them in verse 14, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, watch this, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you. He gave them instruction. He said, here's what you need. You, in order to defeat offense, in order to walk in love, you need the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He said, you're going to need grace to do it. Yes. You don't have the willpower to do it. No. You're going to need God's grace in order to sufficiently overcome offense. Yeah. He says, and then you're going to lead the love of God, which is God's love towards you. You're going to have to replicate that towards somebody else. Yeah. He said, and then you're going to have to have the communion of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's some folk out there who get on your nerves so bad. They're going to defy grace. <laughs> They're going to defy you trying to hang out with the Lord. But the Holy Spirit, who is your paraclete, 
who is your teacher can teach you how to be successful over everything. It's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, and not only so, but we glory, watch this, in tribulations. So we don't even get mad when folks offend us. Uh, come on now. Say, I don't get offended, don't get offended. When, people when people offend me. Why? He said because they need to offend you because when they offend you, it causes your patience to grow. He said tribulations come to make you stronger. If you ain't never been through nothing, you don't know what you can go through. If you ain't never lifted weights, you don't know how much you can lift. If you ain't never had to pray and believe God for something, we don't, you don't know if you can pray and believe God for something. He says, so don't get upset when tribulations come because tribulations come so they can make so they can work on your patience. Let me help you. That word patience doesn't mean just sitting around putting up with. That word patience means consistency. It says literally that that, that tribulations come because they want to help you be consistent. Well, pastor, I thought you was going to preach that one message on offense and I was going to be free forever. Are you kidding me? That's just the beginning. With every level comes new devils. But you ain't got to worry because if you passed the test last time, you're strong enough to pass the next one. The problem is when you don't pass the test. When you keep flunking, you can't keep flunking the test. So the Bible tells us, it says, don't worry. It says, because every time that tribulation comes, it just comes to make us, to make, to make us more consistent. Verse 4 says, and then watch this, consistency builds up your experience. It says, and then your experience builds up your hope. It says in verse 5, I love this, and hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That's the reason your hope doesn't have to be ashamed. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to pass the test if you got the Holy Ghost. The only time you should be concerned about whether you're going to pass this test or not is whether or not you, ain't, you, you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because if you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when tribulation comes, it's going to work on your consistency. Your consistency is going to work on your experience. Your experience is going to work on your hope. Your hope is then going to revert, refer you back to the fact that you have the love of God and it has been shared abroad in your heart via the Holy Ghost. Make this confession. Say, I have, I have everything, everything that, I need that I need to overcome, to overcome offense. Let me just help you with this. God's love, and you can write this down, is the preeminent force in the universe. God's love is the preeminent force in the universe. It is the superior source of power that operates in the universe. The word eminence means standing above others. The word pre means to precede or be before. You combine those, and it means that God's love is before everything else standing. God's love is before everything else. You, you are saved today because of God's love. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved. 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but shall have what? Ever. His love did that. Therefore, preeminence is undoubted superiority. You want to be number one in the kingdom? Learn to walk in love. The Bible says that God's love, therefore, love is the superior than any other force in the universe. So, therefore, it's more superior even than offense. It's why I get aggravated sometimes when people start talking to me about what sin can do. Sin can't do nothing when it comes to God. If God's love, if the blood of Jesus is the superior force in this universe, why are you talking to me about sin? I told somebody the other day, I only sin when I yield to it. No, that's if you are if you a believer, you only sin when you make a conscious choice to to yield to it. Because sin has no dominion over you. It's like saying your three-year-old run you. How your three-year-old run you? How your three-year-old tell you when to go to bed? How your three-year-old tell you what to cook? How your three-year-old tell you what to watch on TV? Child, please. That ought to be your response to the enemy. Child, please. I don't see it unless I yield to it. Why? Because love is a superior force in the universe. Amen? And because love is a superior force in the universe, I don't have to worry about something upending me and making me not walk in love. Walking in love is a choice. Cultivating the love of God in my life and sharing that love with others is the key to experiencing God's fullness. Tell your neighbor, say, love... Is a, law. is a law. Now, you know this. A law is simply an established principle that works for anyone willing to get involved with the principle of that law. We talked about these laws before the law of gravity. How many of you know the law of gravity is working right now? Yeah. If you don't believe it, get on top of this building, jump off. You'll see it's working right now. You will hit the ground. I guarantee you. Well, I'm white. It don't matter. I'm black. It don't matter. I'm male. It don't matter. I'm female. It don't matter. I'm big. It don't matter. I'm skinny. It don't matter. You jump off this building and the law of gravity going to say, come here. Think about it. People do it. I travel a lot for work, right? I have never been in an empty airport. I've never been in. No matter what time of day I travel, no matter how late they come back, it's always people in the airport traveling. It's people all over the world traveling. If you ever want to see something amazing, go to flightview.com. Go to flightview.com about the middle of the day and pull up the map. It, it's dotted with thousands of planes in the air just over America at one time. Yeah. And you think about those planes go up in the air and they come down multiple times a day, over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes you might hear about one that didn't work right, but out of the millions, you know it's safer to fly in a plane than it is to drive on a car in Fayetteville, especially in the state 49. You are less likely to have a wreck on, on 49 than you are to die in a plane crash. How do they do that so consistently? It's called the law of thrust and lift. They take these big, gigantic metal pieces of tubing and stick two wings on the end of it and put big old engines on it and go, okay, bye-bye. And we get on them. Because we understand the law, the law of lift and thrust. It says that as long as I have the ability to go fast enough to get the enough air over the wings, it will lift that plane in the air and it will stay in the air. 
and we get on it and we trust it all the time. All I'm asking you is to trust God. Trust God like you trust the airplane. Trust God like you trust gravity. Trust God like you trust those laws. God is consistent. He says this. He says, look, my covenant with you is going to remain. He says, as long as there's a moon at night and there's sun during the day, my covenant remains. You and I set our watches by it. We know what sun up and what sundown is going to be. Why? Because of a law is consistency. And so love is just a law. Tell your neighbor, say love, love. is not a, not a suggestion. It's a commandment. It's a commandment. So love is also a commandment. He didn't say if you love your neighbor. He didn't say if you, if, if you love your neighbor. In John 13, 34, 35, he says a new commandment I give you. A canoe what? Commandment I give you that ye love who? One another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know how most people decide whether somebody somebody disciples? Do they speak in tongues? Do they lay hands? Do they give? Do they fast? He said, no, 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 none of that stuff matters. I know that you belong to me because of how you love the person behind you. I know Chris is saved how she loved Antonio. I know, I, I, I know whether St. Teresa is, is, is walking in love by how she responds to Rich. I know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, not by the other stuff you do, but by one thing. How do you love? How do you love? Because the whole condition of who you are in Christ is based on how you love. First John 3.14 says this, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love other people. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we know you're alive. When the Bible says the dead can't praise, do you love? Because if you don't love, you're dead. It says he that loveth not his brother, he abides in death. Even though you come to church, even though you scream and you yell and you say, yay, pastor, preach. He said, you dead. Why? Because ain't no loving you. Take your name and say, love is power. But only if you got the Holy Ghost. Because Acts 1 and 8 says, you shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost is coming up on you. You have the power to live the unoffendable life. I read that to you in Romans 5 and 5. It says, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God has already been shed abroad in our hearts. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you have the ability to live the unoffendable life. Now, listen, I'm going to read this last part to you, and I want you to see something. No, I'll, I'll, well, write, just write this down. First Thessalonians. 3 and 11. First Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. Just write it down. You read it when you get home. But it talks about how God strengthens you through love. Whenever you're feeling weak, check your love walk. Because the Bible says that without love, nothing works. Galatians 5 and 6 says, For if we are in Christ Jesus, then neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith activated and energized and expressed and working through love. Where it's got to be working through love. Just as the word of God carries the faith of God, watch this, the love of God carries the anointing of the power of God. We are a word-based church. It's important for you to have the word. It's important for you to have the word. 
But here's what here's the problem. The word is not um, entertaining enough for lots of people. So so sometimes people have to tell you stories because you remember the story more than the word. It's why Jesus talked in parables. But the Bible says there ought to come a time where the word itself is strong enough for you. Where you're mature enough for the word. It says, and just like the word of God carries the faith of God, then the love of God is the power that activates it. I'm going to give you these five practical things and let you go. Write this down. Number one, if you're going to overcome the temptation to be offended, here's the first thing you got to do. Grow up. Number one, write it down. Grow up. Just write on your piece of paper, I need to grow up. If you become, if you, if you remain immature spiritually, you can listen to this tape till the cows come home. You will not change. Change is not change until you change. And the truth of the matter is, I preach this message because the things that God has me to say to you as your apostle of this house aren't always going to be easy. And you need to be able to take what is being said out of my mouth from this position without being offended. And the fact of the matter is some of you need to grow up. You need to grow up. You need to stop spending so much of your time complaining about your life and get into the word. You don't need another counseling session with your friends. You don't need another counseling session with the 10 other people who's going through the same thing you're going through. You don't need to know. Nobody else needs. Stop telling that same story to everybody you meet. Every time you tell that story, you're, re- you're rehearsing your victimization. Stop telling that story. Start telling a different story. Start telling the story about what God has said to you. So number one, you need to grow up. Number two, you need to learn to overlook some stuff. Learn to overlook some stuff. Offense is going to come. It is going to happen. Someone is going to say something wrong. Somebody is not going to treat you right. Somebody's going to push your buttons. Somebody's going to make you mad. But you need to learn to overlook some stuff. Everything ain't got to be a fight. And everything don't need your response. So you need to grow up and you need to learn how to overlook some stuff or let some stuff go. Number three. You need to develop thicker skin. Some of you are far too sensitive to be adults. That's why I taught offense first. I taught offense first so I can give you these five. You are far too sensitive to be an adult. Everything somebody say can't be hurting your feelings. And, you know, I get so tired of people talk. Listen. Talking to me about, well, you know, it's your tone. If you worry less about the tone and more about the information, you might would change. Everybody ain't always got to handle you with kid gloves. Now, it's different if it's a new believer who first came in, but you've been rocking with FOC for three years. And I can't say that you grow up without worrying about whether you're going to come back next week. Grow up. 
Develop thicker skin. Some people are going to offend you no matter how good you are to them. It's just how it is. Some folks just enjoy offending other people. You got to develop thick enough skin not to allow the devil to know which buttons to push on you. Developing thick skin may not happen overnight, but daily increase the capacity of what you can take with love and with mercy. Sometimes you just have to go. That's just who they are. They don't even mean no harm. Come on. And so literally every time she said something, it, it was like she was lying. And we had to get to the place where we go, you know what? We're just going to love on her. We're going to love on her and not believe her. Because that's what you have to do for real. If, if, you, if, what you, if you know that they're telling you a lie, then you just don't put a lot of emphasis on it and you just love on them. Number four. Number four, you need to be grounded. You got to get grounded. Most of the root causes of offense come from a feeling of entitlement. Most of the, most, most of the root causes of offense come from a feeling of entitlement. While there is nothing wrong with fighting for your rights, I'm a big advocate of fighting for your rights. Sometimes fighting for your rights spills into you taking offense because somebody didn't do what you wanted them to do. It ain't your right to have somebody pay your bills. So if you can't pay your bills and you ask somebody and they say, no, I'm sorry, I don't have it. You don't have the, the, the right to get mad at them because they told you no. Stop being entitled. People are not your source anyway. God is your source. And don't let people manipulate you. Well, the Lord told me to come ask you. No, he didn't because he already know I was going to say no. So you miss God. God didn't tell you that. God couldn't have told you that because God knew I was going to say no. But people do that because the reality of it is they wanting somebody else to do for them what they ought to be asking God to do. So you got to get grounded. Amen? Amen? Listen, I would also like you to remember that you are, you, you, you are a child of the Most High God. You are God's servant. And that he is the one who will fight for you. God will fight for you. But you got to get grounded in this thing. Listen, there is, you have a covenant of vengeance with the Lord. The Lord wants to recompense and repay everything that's been troubling. One of the names that Pastor Cynthia used on Tuesday was Jehovah Gamola. Jehovah Gamola, the Lord God of recompense, the one who repays. And I went back and I looked it up just to be sure. But that word recompense means to repay or to reward or to compensate. And the word Gamola means to give one of his, to give back one of just dessert or payback. So God wants to pay your enemies back for troubling you. But that's not people. That's the spirit. So we ain't praying against people, but we are praying against the spirit that operates on people. That's why you love spirit, but that's why you love people, but command the spirit to dry up and die. And then number five, if you're going to come overcome offense. You got to learn to deal with root causes. You got to learn to deal with root causes.
Why are you so bitter? Why are you so frail? Why are you so sensitive? Why does everything hurt you? Why is it that every time someone says something, you take it the wrong way? You need to go to God and give God your hurts. You need to go to God and give God your hurts. Listen, if somebody is talking to you and when they're talking to you, it makes you remember how your mom or dad used to talk to you. It ain't those people. It's you dealing with that issue you haven't dealt with. We come together in relationship with people, but yet we judge people based on how other people treated us. You can see it all the time. You ask a question on Facebook. People, talk, people only talk from their experiences. That's all they talk from is their experiences. And sometimes if your experience is negative, you got to let God give you new experiences. You got to let God give you a new experience so that you can experience something new. Amen? And so love is the key. I'm done. Love is the key. If you learn to walk in the love of God, offense will be a thing of the past to you. Yes. Now, you say, Pastor, you mean people ain't going to ever offend me again? No, 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 I ain't saying that. I'm saying they won't, it won't affect you again. You won't be holding on to it again. It won't be three weeks later and you're still thinking about it. Here's how you know you offended. If you're driving in your car by yourself and it comes to your mind again and you get angry all over again. Pastor Sean and I have used in our life for years. Here is the standard when we know we have forgiven the other person for something. When we talk about it, it doesn't evoke the emotion anymore. If it still invokes the emotion, you need to go back again. You need to go back again. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. You and I have all of the power and ability we need to live successfully. All you got to do is make the decision to do it. Come on, stand to your feet. All you got to do is make the decision that you are going to live the unoffendable life. That you're not going to let the devil play with you no more. I once had a pastor say to me, sometimes you got to get your ball and just go home. Some of y'all know what that means. You ever been playing in the neighborhood? Things ain't going right. Folks acting up. Give my ball. Shut the whole thing. Give, give my ball. Give my ball. Give my ball. Go home. Because if I get my ball and go home, all the fussing, all the arguing, all the crazy stuff, it ceases. Some of y'all need to snatch the ball from the devil and say, give me back my ball. I'm going home. You are not going to be playing with my emotions like this. You're not going to be playing with my feelings like this. You ain't going to be whispering to me about how folk don't love me, about how folk don't care about me. You ain't going to be talking to me about how they got somebody a cake but didn't get me nothing but cupcakes. You're not going to be talking to me about that mess. No, I'm saying the, the enemy will use that kind of stuff to tell you that somebody else doesn't like you. 
Because if he can make you feel it, it opens the door. And he only needs just a little space to slither in there and plant that seed. And once the seed gets planted, unless you dig the seed up, every time something negative falls on it, it's like water in that seed. Listen, I tell people all the time, this is one of the lovingest churches I've ever been a part of. I've been a part of several churches, and some of them, some of them sure didn't feel like no love. So if you come here and you say, I don't feel loved, I'm like, well, I don't know what happened. You must have brought unlovable with you. Because this is the only church I know that meet brand new people and be invited them over to their house to eat that day. This is the most lovable church. Hugging on people. I've had to learn to let people hug me. Because of this church. But if you bring a suitcase of baggage with you to somebody's house no matter what their house is you're going to feel comfortable with all your stuff there when I go to a hotel my wife laughs at me because I don't care if I'm there overnight or if I'm there for two weeks I nest in the hotel I take my bag I open it and every article of clothing I have whether I'm going to wear it or not gets hung up or placed in a drawer all of my toiletries go to the bathroom and they get set up like they would at my house on the same side of the sink. I don't go downstairs. I don't get nothing to eat. I don't turn on no TV until I have nested. Because I want to feel comfortable in that space. The problem with you carrying around negativity, though, is that no matter where you go, you're going to feel comfortable in that negativity. So you come to a place where people love on you, you still feel it. You go to work where people love you, you still feel it. You get in a relationship where somebody is madly in love with you, you still feel it. If you ever been in a relationship and somebody said this to you, watch this. No matter what I do, you ain't happy. What they're telling you is that you are carrying some stuff in your life you won't let go. I don't know about you, but I just declare every demonic spirit is dead in Jesus' name. Everything that's been plaguing us is dead in Jesus' name. 